two, one. Hello and welcome to episode 105 of the Agency <laughs> Podcast. Eugene here in Toronto. And my and bartender can- today. Is Candy Minks also in Toronto. We're just shaking up a little cocktail for our nighttime recording that we don't usually do. And we're both in front of the same microphone. That's right. Because I'm on 27th Street. Yeah. So, okay, we've got a little bit of, uh, what have we got here? It's, we're going to call it a Scotch Sour. And it's Teacher Scotch, which is a little smoky. And I made some fresh lemon juice. And I made some fresh simple, simple syrup. syrup. So it's two parts sugar, one part water. And we're shaking it all up. And then we have some Reagan's Orange Bitters, which I don't know. That's really going to send it over the edge. So normally you wouldn't maybe put that in there. Okay, cheers. Cheers. Mm. Oh, that's okay. That's yummy. It's so smoky. Yeah. I was. I didn't realize it was smoky. That's awesome. Mm. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, great to see you. We're great to back see you here too. like we were in November and December in the same room again. Yes, it's really unusual. We had to think about how do you record from the same room? Oh, right, I completely <laughs> forgot. I thought, why? Did I, could I zoom in another room? No, we could be in the same room. It's so, so silly because it, it removes like a ton of the steps that we, the production does. steps. We're just recording directly onto GarageBand here. And we might not step all over each other this time. We can always look at each other and figure out what we're doing. Yeah, straight onto GarageBand. And so it should be pretty simple to edit tomorrow. I think so. Yeah. All right. So the beverage is pretty good. It's yummy. Yeah. Actually. I, I like it. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, and I'm going to be better. Much better. This is a special treat. Mm. So you got across the border. Would I you got like across to the border. Share yeah. that experience. Yeah, it was actually it was pretty interesting because um, I was pretty gung ho because I got in the app. There was a, a, a arrive Canada. <laughs> That's what we call it. Um, arrive can, and so I saw when I pulled up to the border. I had a COVID test. Did I have that already when I talked to you last time? No, I got a COVID test. Yeah, I did. And then yeah, I proceeded did. to yeah. have a nosebleed for two hours, right? So there had been rumors that there was going to be another COVID test. So I started really stressing out. Like, I don't want to have another nosebleed in the in the border, right? And are the customs people going to do it? Are they going to have um, medical people? Anyway, I saw a sign. It said open and crossing. And then there was one that said arrive can. So I went for that one. None of them were open. They were all gone for lunch. So I have some goods. They change out the um, border guards every hour uh, because the guy came up and talked to me who worked for the border and he said, oh, you got to wait. I started a lunch break. He goes, well, unofficially, but they change every hour. And I went, what? He goes, yeah, so that you can never have know who's on there. You can't make That's an arrangement. That's very smart. Yeah. I thought it was super smart. And apparently it's not secret, so I can share that. So I finally, well, of course, the one lane I pick, never, it's the last one to open up, of course. Well, of course. I that's Murphy's Law. That's Murphy's Law. My dad used to say, <laughs> Murphy was an optimist when it rains and freezes. <laughs> yeah, and he said, you know, you can go in other aisles. You don't have to go in the one that says arrive can. I said, well, I'm already here. Finally, she opened. And so I'm being very polite. Passed her my passport. I don't know what's going to happen because she can... Is she going to see everything that I put onto the app? Because I put my vaccination card. I put my passport on there. I was a little nervous about that at first, but I went, well, I guess they know what they're doing. I'll just put a picture of my postcard on there. You take a picture. The app can take a picture, right? And just like your bank card where you can cash a check. So I did that. And we're sitting there, and she goes, oh, do you have your vaccination card? She asked to see it in hard copy. And I was kind of surprised, so I give it to her. And then she asked the usual question, how long are you going to be here and everything? And I said, you know, a couple of weeks. 
blah, blah, blah. And I said, did my arrive can? Did my app come up? Did you know? And she goes, oh, no. When I put your license in, yeah, it came up. All your information came up. But for some reason, your vaccination card didn't register. You, you have to go back in the app and add that again. So I said, fine. And then she said, go, gave me a big, bright piece of orange paper. I don't know what it said, CRC or something. I don't know, gibberish to me. And you gave it to a guard and then the guard points you in another direction. Then you go into this little lineup, like a drive-through, just like McDonald's or Starbucks or whatever. And um, they get the COVID test going. So again, I had to do Is that, that a different test? It's a different test. How does that one work? The it's, rapid test? No, it was not rapid. No? Okay. No, I thought it should have been rapid too. But no, they were like, no, we're not going to put you in quarantine. You're going to take this test and we'll send you the results, but be ready to go in quarantine if you've got COVID. You know, that's fair. That's very reasonable. Yeah, I thought that was totally reason, yeah. reasonable. And of course I went and I got my test back today and it was negative. So, and I, as I told you also, I wouldn't have been surprised if I had COVID because I really have not been feeling good for, I've been feeling weird like I've developed allergies. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know what's going on. It seems to have cleared up quite a bit today, but I've been, ex- I had shortness of breath two weeks ago when I went to interview Malcolm. I couldn't get a full breath. I was just, you know, that's and that's a sign of COVID, right? <laughs> but anyway, well, and, and of course fine. now everything is a sign of COVID now because everyone's is, always worried about it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So anyway, I'm fine and uh, I don't have COVID and I'm vaccinated and I'm in Canada and I'm really pleased about the whole thing. It's fantastic. I'm glad you're here. It's great yeah. to see you. And I stopped. I want to say hi to John Vanderhyde because we had him on the um, podcast a couple of weeks ago. So I stopped and stayed over in London and we had a great dinner. He took me over for dinner was very thoughtful and kind it was delicious and i should have got a copy of the menu but it's really really good it was kind of um elevated mexican food Mm. it was fancy fancy mexican inspired spanish food spanish maybe like tapas oh it was good they had a poutine spanish poutine (laughs) that's weird it was awesome (laughs) it was really good it was amazing and um we had lots of you know in-depth philosophical discussions and then i interviewed him for my documentary it was fantastic you know, I was in the town in northern Ontario a number of years ago. I'm not sure if it was Geraldton or Long Lac or Nakina. Right. It was one of one yeah. of those towns. Yeah. And I was like fishing or something, and right. uh, we stopped at some diner, and they had a number of poutines. And one of the poutines that that they mm-hmm. had was um, spaghetti and meatballs poutine. Oh. <laughs> Wow, did it have French fries and spaghetti on it? Oh, and everything. And did you try it? Um, I think we tried that one and a, and another one. They were all, they were of course great. Mm-hmm. I mean, as only a, a northern Ontario right. poutinery right. can can produce. Right, right. But it actually wasn't a poutinery. It was a diner. It was a diner, very sure. much a diner. Sure. But it was, um, it was a place in which had poutine much before poutine became a right. trend. Right, and now poutine. Like you said, it's fusion. People put anything on it. You can get all kinds well, of uh, well, and half poutine. the poutine you get doesn't even have curds. It has melted cheese. Right, melted like that, cheese. I mean, sorry, that's have... fries with melted cheese. Right. That's not poutine. Right, poutine Go... has curds. That's right. Now, and it goes both ways in Chicago. Sometimes they just throw on French fries, and the and the gravy's not hot enough. It has to be very very hot. And I believe it's got to be a half a pork, half a beef gravy. That's how it started in Quebec. But, you know. Montreal. Pan, that poutine in Montreal. Oh, it's my insane. God. Mind you, even a bad poutine can be pretty good. Can. Because Although it's a bad poutine can be pretty bad, too. Can be pretty the bad. problem with a bad poutine is you eat it, and about a half an hour later, you feel like you've just eaten an anvil. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the laugh of yeah, recognition. That's true. That's true. Um, you know, in Vegas, we went to a great restaurant a few years ago called Nacho Daddy. And they did the same thing with poutine, but with nachos, and they had like fusion nachos, all kinds, like wasabi nachos. 
Okay. And yeah. there wasn't a thing we ate in that place that wasn't amazing. They had like burger. They had I think they had buttered chicken nachos, and it was freaking amazing. There, it was all really good. We, we we went back a couple of times. We were only there a couple of days, but it was so good we had to go back. Right on. Yeah. There's a place here that does up pierogies with different Ooh, toppings. Yeah, that's and, great. And I was so hopeful, oh. but the toppings are cold. What? Yeah, I, I know exactly. They have to be hot. I know that's it's the, the same whole, as the poutine. It has was just to be wrong. Very hot. And I wanted to just say to the people there, "This is wrong." Right. But it was clearly like a franchise type operation, mm. and the people working there. I mean, they were getting their minimum wage right. or whatever. They, right. they aren't responsible for right. for the right. product. Right. So I didn't complain. Yeah. I ate them anyway. Yeah. You know, I was driving around a lot today. I just want to kind of get this off my chest. It's it's not a happy story. It's a sad story. Um, but there was all this traffic, and there were all these cops blocking the street. So I kind of, we were down at Lakeshore, so I said, hey, what happened at Bathurst and Lakeshore? He said, oh, funeral for a cop. Yes. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. But, you know, and I am sorry, I don't want anyone to die. But then I'm like, the rest of the, for the next three hours, those cops were blocking all kinds of streets. The funeral went from Thorny, it was supposed to be a private th funeral. It, it, they closed like half of the city. Yes, I'm yeah. furious, and who paid for that? So when know. we say, and people are I don't are know, mad. I, I have no problem honoring the, no, the, the cop no. who, who, went, who went to answer a call in a parking garage and got run over by yeah, somebody who, right. who thought it was better to murder the cop than to, like, get arrested. Right. Well, we don't know what happened before that. We don't know yet. We don't well, know. I guess we'll find out. And, um, I, yeah, I don't I don't like the fact that somebody's murdered, but I don't like the fact that taxpayers' money's paid for that. Sorry. I don't like it. And it, it was not a private funeral. It started in Thorn, on Thornhill, and it was in the C&E. It well, was all I, I think a, I think a lot of place. people went to pay their respects. Uh, mm. I think it was public. Mm. I mean, maybe you couldn't go to the funeral part, but I think there was a procession. That, there was an invitation yeah. to the public to go, for sure, yeah. in Thornhill. But what, all of a sudden it came down to exhibition place. And I oh, just yeah, at that point, I just think it's yeah. gone too far. And, you know, this is why people go, they don't understand what defund the police means. Maybe that's part of it. You know, I'm sorry someone died, but I don't think we should be spending money on that. Sorry. Maybe a funeral, but not that big. Not that it shuts down the whole entire city. Just my opinion. Sorry. Okay. And that's that. And, it, you know, but it was funny because I was like, oh, I'm sorry, because I didn't know the story. And then I, of course, Googled the story throughout the day with my daughter and that, and she kind of filled me in on what happened. Yeah. Yeah, I saw a tweet the other day. You did. And I, uh, I wrote it down because I thought it was an interesting tweet, and I wanted to bring it up here on, on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And it was a tweet from, from one of our previous guests on, on this podcast <laughs> here in the agency, Joe Newberry. Oh, yeah. And... Here's what he tweeted. Western North Carolina fiddler Marcus Martin was asked by Alan Lomax in 1942 what he thought music was for. Mm. His response, it's for the upbuilding of people. It's the highest, the most high thing. Mm. What do you think about that? What do you think music's for? Do you think it's the most high thing? Um, I think it's definitely one of the highest things i think it's definitely up there with high things and you know i'm going to include art yeah, I, I <laughs> thought poetry. The same thing. Like, like for me uh poetry literature uh music uh, all the all the arts together for me are the most high thing and i know some people will think that's that's elitist right. especially some people who you know don't look at art don't um mm. uh, don't listen to music besides um 
what's yeah, what's music, what's whatever. fed you in the in the All most right. commercial way sure uh, that's okay though too uh, but i thought you know i thought that was a, a lovely sentiment and some from someone who dedicated his life to a kind of music that wasn't a mass popular music alan lomax alan lomax was the interviewer Oh, and he asked. He the asked the fiddler, yeah, the fiddler uh, yeah. and the fiddler said, "It's it's the most high thing." I thought it was it was really quite quite beautiful. Well, I do too, and I I guess that it, I think that I don't think they meant it elitist, even though they said high. I I, I don't know why they use the word high, but I guess it could be I guess top shelf, top of the I, experiences. I think, I think for him, what he meant what he meant was yeah, it's it's for for humans, it's something that that. Um, elevates us i'd be very surprised if anyone didn't agree with that wouldn't you i yeah, I, don't I don't think know. it is but elitist i think i think it i think in that way i think that almost everybody loves music it's true uh i i don't think that the business of music is the most high thing the business of music i think is very vulgar mm -hmm. you know there's a time-honored uh tradition of fucking over the musician totally for royalties yes. and yes. um uh, yes. And and really getting a fair shake, and right. it's the same thing, you know. In in painting, uh, I know many many painters, but I can think of maybe two, maybe three, who might be able to scratch a living mm. out from their their mm. their paintings. Mm. Uh, literature in, in Canada, a bestseller is something like six thousand. You copies. told me that, yeah. That's really funny. Ooh, sorry, I hit the microphone. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that's true. So, and also in his context, wouldn't that be in 1935? It wasn't like 42. that. 42. Oh, you did tell the year. Okay. Yeah. So, um, see, I was sort of listening. <laughs> I was pick. I got it unconsciously. So, I think that he's really is talking about a spiritual thing. Yes. Yeah, and absolutely. And a bit like what we've talked about in the past of going to that other state. So, I think the yeah, high for part him is transcendent. Transcendent, yeah. and I think that's the point. And it's there are many things that are not transcendent. And then there's many things that, that are. And I think something that's transcendent, I think everybody, even a monster would, you know, what is that saying about even an, uh, the wild although, beast is tamed by music? Although I know, I know people who say I hate music. Well, I don't, I don't know anybody who said that. I know somebody who we both know that says it as a joke, but I don't believe him. He, of course, he likes music. But I think most people really do. I think when he says he doesn't like music, he means he doesn't like that competitive, like I listen to punk, I listen to um, country. They don't want music to be like competition of what's cool or in style i think and that's a lot of us have used music that way you know where it's like oh well, i only listen to this i only listen to morrissey i only listen to prince or something and then everything else sucks or you just don't respect it or it's well you know i i don't i can see why they listen to that but i don't but yeah i think it is the highest thing and i think poetry is too it, it's transcendent anything that's transcendent <laughs> definitely yeah, I think so and too. And it could be divining water, but I don't think that's the same. That's that's a trade, um, you know. But I wouldn't say it's quite as transcendent as as music. Speaking of of music <laughs> and yeah. and fiddlers, yes. Uh, on the tenth, um, one of the great American fiddlers died. Uh, oh, Byron sorry. Berlein. Mm. Um, he he played with Bill Monroe. He played wow. with the Dillards. Um, he was a master of most of the american fiddle styles mm. um just a really fantastic wonderful musician mm. and um by sheer luck i met him once oh wow and it was 2016 and i was at um the midwest banjo camp studying mm. banjo mm -hmm. and he was there uh teaching fiddle yep and 
Um, I had just gone to a class in which I started to learn a difficult banjo piece called the Cumberland Mountain Bear Chase. Mm. Um, also sometimes called the Cumberland Mountain Deer Chase. Mm. Take your pick. <laughs> Uh, Deer or beer? Yeah, it was a, an Uncle Dave making tune, and it was a showpiece tune. Yeah, it was a real show-offy sure. kind of tune, and you're yeah. up and down the neck, and it's really quite difficult to play. And I was working on that, and I had found a little corner, uh -huh. and and he walked by and stopped to listen to what I was doing, and and I looked up, and I thought, <laughs> oh my God, that's Byron Berline. <laughs> He's listening to me. And my first thought was to say. You're him, yeah. But I didn't. I didn't say you're him. Yeah. I managed to not, and I, I, I uh, reverted to well, my second choice, which was hi. Yeah, that's a good one. And it hi. turned out uh, I only spoke with him just for a couple yeah. of minutes because yeah. he was on his way to, to teach. Yeah. But he was just a really friendly, laid-back, um, wonderful fellow. Um, he had uh, some difficult times in the last um, few years. Mm. Uh, I. Not sure which year was it. Probably two years or three years ago, uh, he ran a music store uh, called uh, Is it the Double Stop, something like that, in Oklahoma, Guthrie, oh. Oklahoma, and it burnt to the ground. Oh jeez! And it burnt all of his instruments. Oh god! Um, with the exception of he had he had the really valuable ones in a safe, right. and some of them were spared. Oh some god. of the ones in the safe, um, and people fundraise they mm -hmm. did concerts to mm -hmm. raise money to help mm -hmm. him get restarted right. and he was able to start up his music store again right. Right. uh he didn't want to retire he was in his 70s but he didn't want to retire because um playing music and trading instruments and selling instruments was what he loved he loved mm -hmm. that world mm -hmm. and he didn't want to stop so uh he had a, a really a disaster uh, late in life because mm -hmm. his dream burnt up mm -hmm. overnight mm -hmm. and um, he had to start from from scratch. So anyway, I just wanted to acknowledge Very Byron nice. Berline, one of the great Rest American fiddlers. Rest in peace. Yeah, good, Eugene. Very good. Very good. Hey, I really enjoyed that braised egg you just made. Yes, I made it because we talked last week <laughs> about it, and I wanted you to try. Thank you. It was amazing. It was amazing, and it did the sauce permeated the egg. Yeah. The hard boiled egg and the and pork plus the, was the, just melted like yes, butter. Braised pork shoulder. Oh my god. Is, just about the yummiest mm. thing if you're a carnivore or an so omnivore good. that so you can good. imagine. Very, very good. Excellent. Excellent, excellent. Um, you know, on my way down here, I wanted to ask you if you've ever seen this movie because you can kind of help exp tell me what you think. Did you ever see The Friends of Eddie Co Doyle? Tell me a little bit about it's it. It's a Peter Yates movie, and it's a crime drama, and it's Robert Mitchum, and he plays a kind of been around the block, been to prison a gangster in maybe Philadelphia? So ringing a bell. Yeah, and it's 1973, and it was on TV the other night when I was in um, yeah, I London, think, Ontario, I think and I couldn't I saw sleep. It. Yeah. yeah. It's right up your alley because it's 70s, and then he's he talk, he's always walking around the neighborhood, and, and he's always... And it's Robert Mitchum? Is yeah. The, there's no Gene Hackman involved? No, no, okay. but it sounds like it. It sounds like it's... This guy, Peter Yates, he made Bullet... He made, uh, oh, tons of movies, tons of movies. And it, it is an action film, but it's really a gangster film and a small-time gangster, and Peter Boyle's in it. And Peter Boyle works for a bar that he can't own because he's a, a criminal. He's an ex-con, so he can't own a bar. But he can work in it because somebody else owns well, is it. Is that a thing? I don't know. 
That's what they said in the maybe, movie. Maybe it is. It might be a thing, but it's in the movie, and it sounded kind of realistic. We've, we've just been watching the trials and tribulations of the guys in Homicide Life oh, on a street yeah. on the street oh, who buy a bar. bar. That's yeah, right. And of course, right. They have to deal with city inspectors and taxes, right. And so many obstacles that right. that come up to to get in the way of yeah. their actually running this yeah, bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it, it adds some comic relief. Particularly in a season in which uh, three of them get shot. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, it adds a little bit yeah. of levity. Yeah, it does. It's pretty funny. The story, though, is so basically he goes around and then there's a couple of cops. And so Robert Mitchum's character is almost like a CI. He's almost like a criminal informant. Okay. Or you think he is. He's always trying. What he wants is he wants to get. That would be a snitch. A snitch. And what he wants is he wants to get his time erased or lessened. Because he's coming up with a court case for something. And he wants a time release, so he goes to this one cop, you can talk to them up north and get me off of this, or help me get off of it. So he's always feeding him information. But the cop is just using him, and... And isn't going to help him? I don't think so, no. Oh, that rat. It's such a rat. So he's going to take the information, and he promises, I'll do what I can. Then he uses the information, catches some people... And Eddie Doyle is like, dude, can you help me out now? And he goes, well, no, not really, because I could have got that from anywhere. You didn't, you kind of helped, but you didn't help that much. I had another informant. So it goes on, and then you see him go and hang out with Peter Boyle, um, who, you know, it's weird to see him so young. And, of course, you know, I think of him as young Frankenstein, but here he is playing a very serious part. And um, Robert Mitchum is a gorgeous character. He's brought, It's so different from some of his other movies because there's a lot of heart. Yeah, you could. You could see him in anything, right? And he's got a lot of heart, and he's got a crazy little wife that you see a little bit in here, and he just goes around and is trying to work the system. But it turns out that the cop that he's with um, catches the guy that's selling him guns. So now Robert Mitchum is buying guns from this one guy and selling them to different criminals in in the state, in the city. Plus, we see three or four bank heists. So it had me at bank heist. Right? The movie had me at Bank Heist. It starts out with a Bank Heist, uh-huh. and I went, oh, I'm hooked. And um, it's got the weird music. We like, like heist movies, too. 70s movie. What do you, what do you think music. the attraction is to heist movies? That is such a good pop culture question. I guess I like it because um, it's problem solving, and you're um, they're robbing from someone who's robbing from other people. The whole Dillinger and... and uh, jesse james thing mm-hmm. where they're really going to people who are bad people stealing maybe there's that and none of us like the banks i guess well that's true right. there's a musical tradition of uh, of songs coming out of the depression about you know getting back at the bank uh right you know uh, stories uh, song stories about um uh i'm thinking of um Oh my goodness! I'm just blanking come back out on to you. that. Don't worry. I know what you're talking about, and I think it's songs about Pretty Boy that Floyd. Pretty Boy Floyd. That's what I was thinking. And of. I mean, those guys were really bad guys, but they are romantic because the depression happened, and so in a way, people looked at them. Um, I don't know about Pretty Boy Floyd if he was in the depression, if he was robbing banks after the depression. Um, but the reason we don't mind them robbing banks and Dillinger was because those banks took everyone's mortgages away. Well, that's exactly it. Right. Some so will it was rob like, you with get a back. Right, some people will rob you with a fountain pen. Yes, so when he, that's when it. he got three lines. Oh, there you go. Pretty boy Floyd. Yeah, so there's this bank heist going on, and um, 
and Pretty Boy Floyd leaves a carload of groceries oh. for the families on relief. Oh, there you go. See, come right, on. Who, who can't pay their mortgage, right? Who, come on, how can how can they of not course. be heroes, yeah. right? And uh, definitely. So this has got. The, I don't know what this has got about that, but that's why I like a heist movie, I guess. And it's also because it's kind of like making money off of somebody who's not really working hard for money. Don't you think that's like they're going in and they're slackers? Why can't they get a job and make money? Well, you could say that about the banks. Why can't they get a job and make money? They're not making money. They're just taking people's money and putting it in a safe. They're not really working. Sorry, all bankers that listen to our podcast, but I hope you understand what I mean. It kind of could have that feeling for a lot of people, right? Sure. And then when you want to buy a house, you have to go and you know beg these people who they aren't doing anything. And what about the joke of bankers' hours? Because they're not they're so easy going. So I think that's why the heist movie is kind of like it's sticking it to the man. Anyway, and we all want to stick it to the we man. all want to stick it to the man. Even people who are the man yeah, want to stick, stick it to, it the, to man. the man. That's right. So I want to tell you something. I'm going to kind of ruin this movie. Um, well, we've been doing it? it since 2019. I know. Like, don't point back and wait for me now. I know. Now. So it's weird because I wished you had seen it because I had a question. So Peter Boyle, it turns out, is talking to the cop too that uh, Robert Mitchum's talking to. And that cop goes, hey, he turned... Oh, no. So what happens is his gun salesman goes to sell guns and the cops catch him. So the gun salesman, the gun guy, thinks it's Robert Mitchum turned him in. So he puts a hit on him, and he gets Peter Boyle to go and do the hit on Robert Mitchum. And so they go out and watch a hockey game, and it's an incredible scene. He goes, hey, buddy. He's working at the bar, and he gives him drinks. Robert Mitchum, all of a sudden, you see that he, he's quick to take a drink, and he gets a little high. And he goes, look, go dry out, and I'll see you at the game. Or at this rate, you're not going to be able to enjoy the game. And Bobby, is it Bobby Hull or Bobby Orr, is in the game. It's an amazing hockey game. It's the Blackhawks, and... Well, that would be Bobby Hall. Yeah, and, and against, and I guess they're playing against uh, the town that they're in, Philadelphia, because they're not in Chicago. Okay. They're in Philadelphia, I think. Anyway, it's an amazing bunch of hockey playing in this game. In the Blackhawks, I was freaking out, and then Robert Mitchum's drinking beer like crazy, and there's another guy that comes along on this whole party, and they're getting him drunk to go and kill him. But I didn't think Peter Boyle was going to kill him. They go driving out in this car. And he does kill him. But I still didn't believe it at the end of the movie. I thought that they made a double and switcheroo. But, but then there was there's no one last scene oh. where they go and beat the cop and you find out there was really Peter Boyle was the real snitch the whole time. It wasn't Robert Mitchum. Mm -hmm. So you're thinking Robert Mitchum is the whole movie, but it was really Peter Boyle. And he'd been in cahoots with the cops the whole time. I think time. I'd enjoy that movie. I know. I just ruined it for you. <laughs> no, I, it wouldn't ruin it for me. Because a really good movie, the plot is... It's okay to know it. Yeah, the yeah, that's true. Well, some I, I mean, if you are, have to be surprised by the plot, it's really a one-trick pony. Right, but this is not a plot movie. There's a little bit of a plot thing. But the thing that really pissed me off was the rest of the night, I couldn't go to sleep because I thought, no, I thought that they did a trick where Robert Mitchum got away, and I thought it was going to be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Well, because he's Robert Mitchum. Yeah, so that was weird. But it was, what a cool movie. We were watching Very something, cool movie. We were watching something the other night, and um, Sheila made a comment about how, oh, this is the guy who did it. And I said, well, how do you know that? Hmm. Um, and she said, because he's like, he's an A-list actor. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So he has to be so a good he's, part. Yeah, he's got to have that a good part. That does happen. That does happen in some movies. You're hoping, that's why it's good when they have a lot of characters. And this was good because there was a lot of very interesting characters in the movie. And the cinematography was a lot of fun. 
He's Peter Yates. He's pretty tough. He did, like, you know, Bullet was... If you watch Bullet now, though, it's a bit of a joke because some of the ca cinematography is a little maybe too crazy. It's, like, on the floor looking up between a vase with the goldfish and, you know, it's maybe too But at the crazy. time, they were really stretching. Mind-blowing, yeah. Right. And then they had that mind-blowing car chase. So there's a lot of stretching. There's a lot of pushing the boundaries in um, the Friends of Eddie Doyle, too. Then why is it called the Friends of Eddie Doyle? Because I guess they're not their friends, really. It's not I guess friends. so. Yeah. And he's too naive to realize that. Even though he's been around the block a hundred times, he doesn't realize he's being sucked in. Oh, man. I know. It's a good movie. Really good. And I couldn't sleep after that. I was awake for about two hours after that. Oh, dear. Mulling and, and fussing. Oh, you know what came on right after it? Chinatown. It was on Turner Classic Movies in the hotel I was at. Ah, okay. And then Chinatown came on, and I made myself just try to go to sleep. about. But I ended up watching about an hour of Chinatown. And then I was like, you've seen it so many times, you don't have to watch it again. Just let it go. Let it go. Go to sleep. You yeah. You drive tomorrow. No, sometimes watching a movie in a, in a hotel oh, is a, it. it's kind of a good thing to do. It really is. It's very, I think it's transcendent. <laughs> there you go. Hey, last week, yeah. last week I mentioned the book I had started mm. called uh, How the One-Armed Sister Sweeps Her House. Right. Odd title, isn't it? Yes, yeah. I guess, unless you understand that she's one-armed, because you're wondering how does she sweep her house Well, what one you, arm. Well, what you learn right away in yeah. the book yeah. is that's a, a cautionary tale oh. that a grandmother tells. Okay. Um, uh, about what happens to girls in Baxter's Beach, Barbados, uh -oh. who disobey their mothers and venture into the Baxter oh, tunnels. Dear. Oh dear, I think I got the full picture. Right, and so that that really sets the the, little the story. And um, I I liked the book. Yeah. For a lot of reasons, and one of them was I liked the way the characters revealed themselves and their backgrounds. As the book progressed, mm -hmm. there's a lot you don't know when when you start being introduced to the characters. Right. And you find out that right. there's a lot of interconnectivity. So there's a number of these uh, uh, characters um, that are followed in the mm -hmm. book. One is Lala. Mm -hmm. And she is uh, a young woman, a young mother who braids hair on the beach. Oh, yeah. Uh, braids hair of rich tourists. Yeah. On the beach, and uh, she's abused by her husband. Oh. Um, she's beaten badly by her husband, mm. and there's all that goes along with right, that right. Um, in the book. And Aiden is her husband, and he's a thief and a murderer. Well, he murders this fellow named Peter Whalen, and Peter Whalen is a rich Englishman, mm. and he's married to Myra Whalen, and we learn that. She is, in her marriage to Peter Whalen, she is part of the rich tourist class. Okay. Okay. But she's a local from Barbados mm -hmm. who comes from a class, let's say, let's use the term white trash. Okay. It's the, it's the class that... Uh, is looked down upon by everybody else, mm -hmm. including the poor blacks on the island. Okay. Okay. Uh, and so we see when when her marriage to Peter by murder is over. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, she's a widow. Well, yes. Yeah, suddenly, she's no longer really part of that yeah. that rich tourist class, and she's kind of like a lost a lost soul. Mm. And um, 
the previous Mrs. Whalen comes and takes away the kids. Oh, wow. And it's like she's dispossessed. Um, interesting character. Um, and then there's a guy who's a friend of Aiden's whose name is Tone. And he's a gigolo oh, on the beach. Oh. Um, and uh, he helps Aiden with robberies and dealing weed and stuff like that. Um, but it turns out we find out that he also had this relationship with Lala. Oh. Mm. Uh, that's continued when uh -oh. they become reacquainted and their relationship stopped because well she he had to go married. to prison for a while oh i see not because she got married right <laughs> well she got married while he was in prison okay um and then there's the local cop sergeant beckles and <laughs> what's re what's really really funny is that i worked with somebody by that name who was from barbados who used oh to be a cop God. so it's really kind of freaky yeah that is freaky. And so i suppose that that that, that beckles name. is a common uh Bayesian name? Is, right. it Bay is that what you say, Bayesian? I think I, so. It sounded very good to me, uh, Bayesian. Um, so, I mean, this is not the feel-good the feel -good story of the year. Right. Um, and, you know, it deals with cycles of abuse, misogyny, um, women who are subjugated. It deals with incest, brutal beatings, domestic wow. violence, murder, Yikes. robbery, poverty, and it focuses on um, the relationships between people who come from very distinct classes within this particular society in the 80s in Barbados. Uh, but it's also tender and beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, it offers enough of a possibility of hope to keep you reading. Mm -hmm. uh, the language in the book is beautiful. It's, oh, wow. it's a beautifully written book. Okay. It's quite lovely. It's quite a compelling read. And... I'm going to recommend it with uh, with some reservations. And the reservations are that some people might find it just really a downer. So you found it disturbing to hear about domestic violence. I mean, it was maybe rape. It was quite it was quite disturbing, yeah. but it wasn't so disturbing as to dissuade me from sallying forth through the right, book right. Um, because it had a strong story um because of the interconnectivity, the interrelationships right. between all, all the characters. And those things really happen in life. They really do happen in yes. life. Yes. We don't like them just because we're reading about them, we're writing about them, doesn't mean we like it. It means it's being realistic, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah. I'm going to say uh, quite a good book, quite well worth reading. It's a book that I, I just picked because I thought <laughs> I wouldn't normally read a book with a title like this. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very mysterious title. It does catch your eye. Uh, and so that's beautiful. it's a beautiful cover too. Yeah, I thought Cherry Jones I, I, or Sherry Jones. Yeah, Sherry Jones. Sherry Jones. Um, she's a lawyer. It's her first oh, novel. Cool, very cool. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, it's nice to see someone who's not like uh, fresh out of uh, Iowa uh, writing school or something. Exactly. Yeah, like uh, curated you, writing classes yeah. or something. Yeah. Uh, uh, she no offense, started, started we writing. like Iowa writers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's um. She was born in Barbados in 74. Mm -hmm. uh, she's a graduate of the MA program at Sheffield Hallam University, a past fellowship awardee at the Vermont Studio Center. Publication credits for her short fiction in include Pank, Reflex Fiction, and The Feminist Wire. Okay. Um, so quite good, quite well, wow. well written. And as I say, I, I went for reading this because... Different. I wanted to read something that was located in a place that I knew nothing right, about. Right, that's um, true. With characters I knew nothing about. Yeah. Uh, a kind of societal situation I, I'm mm -hmm. really unfamiliar mm -hmm. with. Um, I thought I haven't read a whole lot of black writers. Mm -hmm. I read a few, but on balance, I've read a lot more 
white writers and black writers. Okay. So I thought, oh, I can correct that. I can, yes. I can yes. try to read some more yes. black writers. Yes. This is a yes. good time to do that. So, um, as I say, I, I'm going to recommend this one with with cool. reservations. If you're going to be really, really turned off by the the abuse and well, the violence, crime. it's a crime violent it noir. Is a, it's a noir. It's like Jim Thompson. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's beautifully written and it's well worth reading. Yes. So if you can handle Jim Thompson, you can handle this. Yeah, well, it's not like Jim Thompson, no, but I understand but I what you're saying. But I grody, de depressing side of life yes. is covered. Yes. And that is a real part of life for many people. Yeah. Well, I'm reading something also that is not something I would normally want to read or think about reading. And I mentioned it a couple of months ago, I think, probably if, about six weeks ago, because our friend in Memphis um, recommended it. He said he read it, and it was a very good book. And right in the middle of a pandemic, he read it at the beginning of the pandemic, and I think that's crazy, but it's called The American Plague. I did mention it before. The Untold Story of Yellow Fever, the epidemic that shaped our history, and that history would be the U.S., and it's Molly Caldwell Crosby, and she's a fantastic writer. She has drawn me into something that... I want to read that one when you're done. Oh, it's so sure. good. I'm telling you, she's got away with a sentence, and she delivers it like hard-boiled, and then builds up things. So I want you to maybe read this because you've got most of the light here. So here's the um, opening. This is a, um, John Edgar Wideman is a, a writer in the United States, and she, she quotes him. He wrote a book called Fever, and I just saw this. Oh, for God's sakes, where is it? The, here. No. The quote was really good. Kind of made my blood chill. Read that so one. it's a quote that I'm reading? Yeah, it's from... at the beginning of the book. Okay. Nothing is an accident. Fever grows in the secret places of our hearts, planted there when one of us decided to sell one of us to another. Mm. Yeah, and so yellow fever, um, people who lived in Africa had built up an immunity to the yellow fever that was spread through oh, mosquitoes. Oh, I see. Okay. Right? So the yellow fever came to the United States and many other countries because of slave trade. Right, from people who wouldn't get sick from it because they, they built up an immunity. Right, that's right. And it, 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 boy, did it love some white Dutchmen and some white British Americans. Wow. It just loved it. I had no idea about that. I didn't either. What an interesting way of looking at history, huh? History through yeah. disease. Yeah. It's a medical detective story, and it really is oh, a medical yeah. detective story. It's fantastic. And she talks about, there's just so many things, and it's in Memphis. So that appeals to me, but it's Memphis in the 1700s. After the Civil War, 1778, was the most brutal outbreak of yellow fever. And yellow fever is not contagious to you and I. If one of us had it, I don't think we could spread it to the other. But it's contagious with mosquitoes going into your bloodstream. Okay. It has to go into a bloodstream. Does that make sense? So, I mean, yep. it's contagious, but I don't think it's contagious necessarily human to human. <clears throat> Uh, which is hard to believe that it could spread that much, but I guess it's from the mosquitoes. But I could have also really misunderstood it. And basically... Yeah, you know, I just got to have to go back for a second. Yeah. The American Civil War was 1861 Correct. to 1865. Yeah. And you said this was in the 1700s. No, I meant to say it was in... I meant to say it was in about four years later. It's... Um, what year was it? So the in the Civil 1800s. War? 1878. 1878, so okay. This yellow fever outbreak is focused on Got it. I just, I just didn't want to have no, to go right. through all the emails no, I know. correcting when the American Civil War right, was. Right, right. Uh, so 
Oh, I thought you were looking up whether yellow fever was contagious human to human. No, no, no. I thought, just a second here, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty certain that the American Civil War was in the 1860s. Uh, it absolutely here, was. How could it possibly have been in the... It absolutely so, anyway, was. Anyway, sorry, I didn't so mean 18, to call you out no, on you're that. Good. No, uh, no, no, of course. I must have mumbled over it because it's 1778. No, 1878. 1878. <laughs> you must have done it twice. It. I just did it twice because I liked it so much. Scotch so, sours. Scotch sours are affecting <laughs> my thing. So it's going through, she's going through all these very interesting things about the attitude of people about yellow fever. They knew it was there. They knew nobody had any clue how it was spread, right? They didn't know it was from mosquitoes. And they... Oh, isn't that interesting? Isn't that creepy? It's so weird. And they knew there was a season for yellow fever, but they hadn't really added up that it was coming from the mosquitoes At the, the same ships. time that it was mosquito season. Right. But they did have quarantine. And there was all kinds of argument about quarantine because they would hold the ships back to make sure there were people who were really into quarantine. They would hold the ships back for a month and then they changed it to quarantine is 40, right? It used to be trientine. I, I'm probably saying that one okay, wrong too, okay, for 30 sure. days. And then they changed it to quarantine means oh, 40 because, days. Oh, isn't that interesting? Because then it would have played through the ship. It would have, If it was in the ship, it would have gone its course and then they could let it come into the city. And then they had people arguing about whether or not they should do that because they had the mighty dollar pushing them to bring those goods in. Of course. Because everything was on hold if all those goods were in, in a ship. So in the uh, TV series <laughs> Deadwood, yes. when there's a plague, yes. is that yellow fever or is that typhoid? Oh, wow. I don't remember anymore. We're, really we're going to have to look that up and, and uh, do a fix it next yeah. week on that. Cause Part of me feels like it might be yellow fever. But but no, the time would the be right. Side. Yeah, it's northern, and I mean, yellow fever did go to New York, and it did go to Philadelphia, and it did obviously go to New Orleans and Memphis. Um, but I guess the river, the Mississippi River, the temperatures were so perfect for mosquitoes to keep having eggs that it just kept spreading. Wow! And it, I think it wiped out in 1878. It wiped out most of Memphis, like killed everybody just about and memphis was going to be like the biggest next city in the in the country it was um it was they were aiming to make it like one of the actually you know what philadelphia was going to be the capital of the united states but because of yellow fever they had to move it to dc and i think something similar That's fascinating isn't it amazing how much history is dictated by medicine totally by disease it's disease um, by the way i just did a quick look up yeah. uh, the disease in deadwood is smallpox oh crazy so we're neither yeah yeah interesting that yeah that sounds familiar too doesn't it uh, oh that's a backlash against the um uh germ warfare right what do you mean smallpox was used as germ warfare was used as warfare against uh, indigenous peoples right so it's interesting oh, that see. it got it gets white people too right yeah. they purposely gave smallpox blankets to indigenous I had people no idea. to kill them yeah to kill them oh, yeah Yep. And then everyone's all freaked out. The same people are freaked out because, um, oh, somebody maybe gave us COVID, right? Conspiracy theories for that. It's like, well, your mind created that because you're guilty of that history. You can't make up something that you couldn't have already heard about, right? Because white people did give indigenous people smallpox to kill them. Oh, anyway, it's just a, such a fantastic book. And like there was Mardi Gras in Memphis. And I don't know if there's Mardi Gras now. Not, we think of New Orleans, but yes. they really advertised, they had like 10,000 people went there to go have Mardi Gras. 
and it was right in 1960. I think a lot of places had that pre-Lent carnival, right? Yeah. Well, I think they even, I think they made up that day. It wasn't really with pre-Lent. A guy in Memphis made that time up. He said, this will be a great time to do the Mardi Gras right before Lent. For, and they called it Fat Tuesday. And then they made, they had all kinds of parades, all kinds of fanfare, fireworks, music. But that's all, that's all related to Catholicism. That's all related to, to, to Lent. Yeah, you have, you have yeah a, but I wasn't sure if it always was. Was it like that in Europe? I don't know about Europe. Right, because Catholicism started in Europe, in Italy, right? So I don't think that the Pope does Lent and Mardi Gras. Any Catholic experts out there, correct us on, on the Mardi Gras. I, are they all Catholic celebrations? Well, I think they are based in a Catholic. They are right next to Lent, but I think that happened in 1878 when they did this big, huge thing. The guy that was organizing it, the mayor, thought this will be great timing to have this decadent party right here when we're about to do Lent. But of course, if you go to Catholic Mass, I mean, there is there is a Shrove Tuesday. That's true. Right? Yeah, so it's, it is built on that. And he was probably Catholic. So it's it's related. But I think they actually amplified it like crazy. And well, I don't celebrate that. I'm not against pancakes. <laughs> or king cake with the baby Jesus hidden in it. Right? You could break a tooth on that. Yeah, you could, but it's rubber. It's not going to oh, okay. Because yeah. you, you wouldn't want to break a tooth on Jesus. No, it's, it's, no, it's a little tiny yeah. baby Jesus made out of rubber. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever had king cake? No. Oh, it's really good. Yeah. It's purple and yellow and green. Icing thick with gold, shiny things that like beads on it. And it's made right in Mardi Gras. Okay. It's fantastic. Never we, should, had we should make it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we, we probably have all the ingredients in our fridge. Probably. I looked it. at our fridge today. We have, in in anticipation of, of Candy's <laughs> arrival, we filled our fridge with everything. And then I brought stuff too. <laughs> and then she brought stuff. And so our cupboards, things are falling out of the cupboards on the fridge. It's crazy. I brought so much Trader Joe's products like. Trader Joe's. Trader Chili. Joe's is very, what very we happy. We have Cajun Alfredo sauce. I want to try that. Yeah, That's going to be yummy. Yeah, I can't wait to try it. Yeah, and then um, Plus, it's totally easy. Dump, dump, dump jar of sauce oh, right. on pasta. So when you're tired, it's a good meal. I brought yeah. Noki, Trader Joe's Noki, Trader Joe's peanut butter. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I was really surprised that this is like fresh Noki that doesn't need refrigeration. And I was like so totally surprised that this existed <laughs> and candy looks in the cupboard and pulls out the udon noodles which That's are essentially right. the same ingredients <laughs> that i've had in there for in months the cupboard, that didn't, it, did, it didn't yeah. faze me no. that that there's udon noodles yeah. but it phased me that there was gnocchi no six because i've never seen i it. know vacuum packed so it can go on the shelf yeah very easily on the shelf oh my god i know there's something else i was thinking about today oh i went swimming at uh sunny side it was fantastic so the 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 pools are open in Toronto, and you go on an app and you fill out all your information. I think your address, your name, your birthday, all of that jazz, and then you book a swimming pool at the park center, and it's limited. You can only go in for 45 minutes. Does the lifeguard have a mask? All the, all the lifeguards have masks. Mm -hmm. And then we had two people came by. One person was on a bike path. There's a bike path right by the pool. And while we're swimming and relaxing, this guy yells out, hey, uh, what's it called? Lifeguard what are you doing with your mask on or something like that it was like and he was holding a baby loosely in his arms on a bike not strapped on carrying a baby in his arms and of course i was like i hope that's his baby <laughs> well i'm glad to see that even though we're doing much better in toronto right yeah. now the cases have dropped right off good things are opening up um sooner than, yeah. than expected all all those good things are happening um but i'm going to say this now <laughs> If you don't have a medical reason 
to not get a vaccination, go out and get your damn vaccination. Yeah, yeah, I'm done with do. the crazy ass excuses I here. Um, look, if you if you believe <laughs> that COVID is a hoax, or if you believe that Jesus doesn't like it if you if you get a vaccination, right. or uh, if you believe that it messes with your DNA, you can believe whatever you want. Yeah. But you know. Today, Sheridan College was the first institution of higher learning in Canada to say, if you want to come to our campus, mm -hmm. if you want to attend school in mm -hmm. our campus, you need to have two vaccinations. Good, good. Um, and I think it's pretty brave, and I'd like to see um, more of that. And there's going to be backlash to what I'm saying here, because there's going to be some people saying, right. yeah, well, um, you can't <laughs> dictate what, what people do. Well, and, you, you can. But you can look, sort of dictate what people do. I'm fine. If you don't want to get a vaccination, I can't convince you to get a vaccination. Right. That's okay. But I don't want to see you on an airplane. I don't want to see you in a school. Right. I don't right. want to see you in any of those places where, well, where you're going to be passing that around to right. people. I'm hoping so that... So just get it done. I'm hoping that apparently there's some teachers that don't want vaccinations. I'm hoping they will continue to teach Teach from Zoom. home. Teach from Zoom on virtual classrooms, whatever it's called. And um, maybe I think there's we're some gonna, kids that are going to stay We're going to find that a lot of employers are going to be requiring their employees to get vaccinated because they have a responsibility to protect their whole right their group customers. of employees what and their customers. What if you go to a restaurant and you um, get COVID from a waiter? Can you sue the restaurant? I don't know. Um, the other thing is it's there's another untested, meme going right? out there. There's another thing going out there saying that people are going to have a shorter, oh, they've got a shorter lifespan with COVID um, vaccines. Well, first of all, we've only had the vaccines for four months. So how, what, how short is it going to be? Have they already people been dying from it? No, we need five, ten years to make that kind of... Um, conspiracy theory up How one thing for sure is that you're up? gonna you have a good chance of having a shorter life lifespan with covid well yeah and didn't i tell you last week about the fellow that i know who didn't recognize me because he had brain fog yeah he didn't know who i was and i i've had dinner with him you know many times him and his wife i've been in the neighborhood friends with her for eight years he didn't recognize me and he's got the brain fog it's hopefully going to go away but it was very similar to Alzheimer's. He does, when they're driving the car, sometimes he doesn't know which way to turn. He's a fellow who used to be a, a taxi or an yeah, Uber driver yeah. and now can't can't do it because yeah. how do you navigate yourself if you right. don't own the city anymore? No, exactly. His wife has to tell him how to get to the grocery store. So um, it's pretty scary. I, I understand that, um, you know, what's interesting in the American plague is that they argue about all of the same stuff is being argued in 1878 that's being argued now. People didn't want to be quarantined. They thought it was bullshit. They thought it was invading their freedom. So it's very interesting that what's happening here is there's flavors of it now. Fascinating. Very much so. You know, um, what was it? Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, where um, they, they were trying to end the, the disease spread in hospitals, right? You're supposed to get better when you go in the hospital. And so they realized, well, you have to wash your hands. You've got to wash your equipment and you've got to wash your hands. So all the nurses were washing their hands and the, and everybody's being clean, but the disease was still spreading. And guess who was spreading it? Doctors. Because they thought they were entitled. They were so entitled that they would only be there for healing that they didn't realize they also had to wash their hands and clean themselves. And so it was really about educating the doctors to wash their hands because they thought they were too good to be, get, they were there to heal people, not spread disease. One of the things that we found out during this pandemic is that if you 
keep away from people and you wash mm -hmm. your hands a lot and you wear a mask, you don't not only are you aren't, you're not going to get COVID, you also aren't likely to get a cold. You aren't likely to get the flu. I, I, I haven't had a cold in a year and a half. Oh, I know. It's amazing. Uh, and it, that's really unusual. Usually I'm good for two or three oh, colds me too. a year. Oh, me too. Um, and you just don't think of it because it's like, we accept that as right. part and parcel of our lives. Right. But a little bit of care, you can reduce the amount of downtime you have due to illness. Right. Um, that's something that has been taught us so obviously through the through the. Pandemic. And also, if you have a cold, stay home. Don't go to work. Well, and so then yes. we have to provide um, a health care system so that you can and, and protection and, at your and, job so you can afford to stay home. And that's really going to change the way our workplaces are. Right. Um, I worked at a, in a place for a long time that had a very generous sick leave plan, mm -hmm. and that was negotiated between right. the, uh, the the major union sure. and management, sure. and it was one of the more generous plans around, right. Right. Um, and certainly received a lot of criticism because of just how generous mm -hmm. it was, um, and the, the company um, was concerned because uh, you had so many sick days, and a lot of employees managed to be sick exactly the number of sick days that they had. <laughs> yeah. And it was pretty obvious that a lot of people would abuse the, the, the sick leave and would take every Friday off because, uh, right. those because they could. Are right? obvious. I yeah. mean, that's, that, that if stuff you watch happens. Those patterns, um, yeah. And they, they were always pushing to get people to come back to work. As soon as you're able to come back to work, you should be coming back right. to work. And I know... When I was in a situation in management um, at that enterprise, I was expected to be at work mm -hmm. sick, right? Because there was I was held to a higher. Right, but do you see bar. why that's a joke? Well, it is now. It's obvious because that it's a, it's a joke. If you come to work sick, I get my sick days and I can go home. But you gave them to me, so it's really your fault that I'm sick. Now, so now hilarious. a lot of workplaces are going to have to reassess that, and when people are sick. I think a lot of workplaces are going to be saying, you're sick, you stay at home. Well, you're and, and they're going to have to change the nature yes, yes. Of, of sick leave plans. Right. right. And then you've got the, uh, the um, restaurant business or gardening business or all these um, businesses that aren't in corporate and they don't have any back uh, support, right? So then you've got people coming to work with colds, spreading them everywhere. Uh, the thing is, you've got to be able to say, if that's one reason why you would want a vaccine. Because if you get COVID and you have to stay home, you're not going to die. Let's say you get COVID right now and you're not going to die, but you have to stay home for two weeks. You're not going to get paid for that. So you are going to lose money. Even if you don't get a vaccine and you miss work, you better have a good job that is going to pay for your sick pay. But if I got COVID right now, I would miss work and no one's going to give me anything. I'm going to lose all my tips and my hours, right? So it's, it's all of the things. We should yeah. have universal health care. Um, yeah, one but, of, all, all distinguished company, uh, countries and um, educated countries have healthcare except for one. <laughs> the, the company that I worked for made, finally, after many years, they were able to get a change in their, in their sick leave plan. And it was quite interesting what they did. Um, they went from a plan in which you had X number of days, which you could carry over and you mm -hmm. could bank right which is a great idea um, and some of them and and i had mm -hmm. i had probably a year of sick because wow. i was very fortunate i didn't yeah. get yeah. get sick and and when mm -hmm. i did get sick well i went into work because right. i'm an idiot uh and <laughs> and spreading it 
Yeah, uh, yeah. because, well, we didn't really think in those terms. Um, but they switched to a, a plan in which they thought, well, what if we accept a lower number of total days and we tell people, these are your days. You could take them because you're sick. You could take them because you want to go mm -hmm. shopping. Mm -hmm. You could take them because you need to care mm -hmm. for your kid right. or whatever. And they stopped judging about how sick you were. Mm. And they just said, we're going to provide you with this many days. Right. And you can carry a small number of them mm -hmm. um, or you can get them paid out. I don't I don't think you could carry them more than once or something. They okay. really reduced that. Uh but you had this number of days, and if you didn't use them, you got paid out. Okay. So the company was going to pay for, I think it was seven days. Oh, that's not very many. Whether whether you use them or not. Right. right. Um, so I started to use my days mm -hmm. at that time. Yeah, yeah. And because I was in management, um, there was somebody who suggested to me um, that, well, you're not supposed to use your days. We, we expect <laughs> you to not use your <laughs> days. <laughs> and... I was like, forget that, uh, because the the company's saving all of this yes, money, yeah. and the CEO's going around the country saying, um, we don't care why you take the days, you could take them And did to the go union shopping. agree to that? Yes. Oh, they did, huh? Yes. That's I unbelievable. Yeah, I think that... How much were the sick days before, like two weeks? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, and, and there was carryover. Um, but what they did was, if you had accumulated leave credits um, those became top-up credits for short-term disability okay and what that meant was for instance for me when I badly broke my ankle yeah. Yeah. and I used up my seven days right. Right. Um, I go on short-term disability which would pay me a percentage like 70% uh -huh. uh -huh. or something of uh, of my pay, well, these credits that I had a zillion of mm -hmm. top those up to 100%. Fascinating. Um, so you didn't lose out completely. If you got really sick, mm -hmm. they were still going to help you get full pay. Mm -hmm. yeah, so it was, it was quite creative. Yeah. Um, it was a hit in terms of uh, the benefit mm -hmm. for employees at yeah. all levels, yeah. for sure. Uh, I... I'm not really capable of, of arguing what's sort a of reasonable number of days. Right. But right. what I liked was I liked the creativity of the solution and I liked the fact that it took the judgment away. Yes. You never had someone saying, Well, well, Candy, were you really sick? I know. Did you go see yeah. your doctor, Candy? Yeah, yeah. You like you just took to that it. right out of it. Right. And you just said, No, I'm using one of my one of my days? personal yeah. days. Yeah. They call them personal yeah. days. Um, and I thought it's smart to take the judgment out of it and say, the benefit is this much, this right. many days. Right. Right. Use your days or get paid for your days. Your choice. Yeah. Gives you some flexibility. And, you know, I don't think there's a lot of people who are unhappy with the change. No, that's pretty interesting. You know, I ta talked about the Netflix book, oh, God, over a year ago, right? Remember I read the Netflix book? And the guy who created Netflix. And he had some different innovations that he did at work. And one of the ones I liked was that anyone could take time off. So they wanted their staff to take off unlimited time off from work. Now, the thing was, you'd be a fool if you took it off in April. Then you'd probably be like, well, you have no idea of your job. You're not qualified because April's when we do our taxes. It's an important time of the year. So you wouldn't take April off. But you could take a month off and go to Thailand. The thing was, everybody's so excited. Nobody took time off. Nobody took time off. It wasn't just because they were workaholics, which they were. 
But what happened was I think someone like HR went to the guy who wrote the book, who was telling his story. They said, you've got to take some time off. Staff's not taking time off because you don't. So go take time off, take two or three weeks, and bring pictures back and brag about it. You have to do that. You have to create a culture of, of that being part of working mm -hmm. at Netflix. He did, and everybody started taking time off. And that's, it's a little bit like that with the managers, that you should be able to take time off and be, and be it's something to create culture at your workplace where you travel to. And if you gardened yes. on and, your holiday or if you, it's if you had a baby to get away born. from work. Yes. There, there's always some people in every workplace who are, who consider themselves to be the most important right. person in the world. Right. In that job, yes. in the history of ever. Yes. And, oh, I can't. I'm too busy. I can't yeah. take time I off. I think there's that, too, with the Netflix guy. It was good that he, he yeah, um, exactly. But the reality is that we can all be replaced. Yes, and I also don't trust somebody that doesn't want to go and spend time with their family or take their dogs on a road trip. It doesn't have to be a conventional time off. You could take time off just to garden or staycation or or go to Thailand or, you know, or whatever. Or whatever. Yeah. And then you should be able to come back to work and tell people about it, inspire other people to do it. Because when you're rested, you come back and work better. Of course you do. Yeah. I think it's really important to be able to get time away from work because you want to be able to stay fresh and stay liking your job. I can't believe we're talking about time off and travel and stuff. Isn't that funny? Yes, it, it is funny. It felt good to come across the border. And it felt like the, the border was really into, come on, people, we got to get back and forth. They weren't judgy. They weren't hassling you about anything. You took your COVID test. Oh, and then they gave me the box of the COVID test, and I had to throw it out. I was like, well, can't you guys take the... Nope, we can't take our COVID test back, the box. <laughs> you have to keep it and throw it out somewhere else. Well, yeah, they're trying yeah. to protect themselves, Yeah, of course, too. of course. But yeah. it was kind of funny, all the garbage that was made with it. I put it yeah. on Instagram. There's, there's, a, a there's probably too much. There's too a little much too much packaging. Yeah. And I'm sure that'll uh, get I mean, trimmed that's down. I mean, there's too much packaging in everything. Yeah, that'll get trimmed down in the next couple of weeks, probably. They'll just realize you could put it in a bag. Oh, it's really funny because I forgot this part. I always have this problem where I ask a question and people go, no. So I, he, I said, um, look, I'm really worried about my nose bleeding. <laughs> yes. And um, so I do the test. And he goes, do you need a tissue? And I went, yeah. And he goes, okay. I'll, oh, wait, I'll go get you one. So he walks away and I said, oh, I've got one here. And he goes, no, because there was one that came in the kit. <laughs> and I just dropped it. I was like, oh, no, was it like arsenic? Because I already touched it in my face like, what happened to it? It was to soak up. It was so clever. This was the cool part. They had a plastic bag that they put the vial in. Okay. So you take your vial. You you know, the COVID test goes, a Q-tip goes into a vial. The vial goes into a, a biohazard plastic bag. And you Ziploc it. But you throw this tissue in. It looks like a piece of paper towel. It's probably not. It's like a little bit fancier than paper towel. And the purpose of that is you just leave it in there in case the vial breaks. Then they can collect the DNA or the sample from the paper towel. Oh, isn't that clever? Wasn't it? It it may not break, but in case it does, it will save the sample. Well, I'm glad you made it across the border. <laughs> um, I, I'm glad you're comfortable to travel. Yeah. I can't say that you I feel the same way. I'm right. not sure. For instance, I, I believe that uh, the Rockbridge Festival, a music festival I've been to twice, mm. uh, where I've made a number of friends, mm -hmm. is is going to, to uh, oh, happen this year. Right. and. If the border opens, well, mm. I guess I could go, but I'm not ready to go. Yeah. I'm not ready to travel. I think that's okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just, 
I guess it's a psychological thing. I'm just not ready to travel. I'm not ready to socialize in large groups. Right, right. Um, small groups, I'm yeah. okay with. Yeah. Two, yeah. three, four people. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. vaccinated. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I'm still nervous. Yeah. And I guess it's just I've been habituated to being extra careful for a year and a half. And so... I'm not one of those people who wants to immediately jump on a plane right, and right. Um, and go somewhere. Right, right. I I think I'm gonna stay Take at home it, for yeah, a while. I think that's smart and let the let let it all work out a little bit. Yeah, I mean I am going to go on a canoe trip, but there's hardly any people you're, that and you're, I'm likely you're to see. staying in the country. Yeah, yes. but that is a trip. You though, although having said that, psychologically that is a trip. Yes. So you are ready to travel psychologically, just not on the um, kind of the. Getting on an aircraft. Borders and planes. Borders I'm not, and I'm not planes. ready for yeah. borders yeah. and planes Yeah, I think yet. a lot of people, though, I, I don't know if I'm ready for a plane. Even though they say it's the safest way to travel, I'm not sure I'm ready for it. I think um, people are going to be surprised at the uh, at the ticket prices on going airplanes. Going back up again? I think they're going to go very, very I think, high. I think it's not going to be like it was before. Uh, it's going to be very expensive to travel. It's probably yeah. going to be two to three times more expensive yeah. to fly um, because there's airlines that were almost bankrupt yeah. and yeah. they're going to be trying to recoup. And if there's the demand to go to tourist destinations, mm -hmm. uh, they're going to get mm -hmm. every last uh, cent that they can from so people. So in some ways, the people that traveled during the pandemic, were they, took, they were opportunistic and they took advantage of that because they... There were, I know there were people who were taking flights for 50 bucks yeah. across the country, going to Europe for a couple hundred dollars, right? So, uh, yeah, it's not going to be that. The other thing is, I think airfare has always been subsidized anyways, because no one, and I think gas in the United States has always been subsidized. It's quite, it's expensive for the States right now. It's about three seventy-five a gallon. Whereas in Canada, that sounds like great because it's $6 a gallon here almost, right? Five fifty or something. It's been very expensive to fly within Canada for a long time. A long, long time because and, it's a and real price. And cheaper to fly elsewhere. Right. Um, that's why a number of years ago, Sheila and I visited Portugal mm -hmm. because uh, we were going to go to uh, Gros Morne uh -huh. in, in Newfoundland. Uh -huh. And we had tickets on uh -huh. Canjet and Canjet stopped flying. Oh. And they were good enough to give us our money back. And they, they were even willing to book us on Air Canada mm -hmm. uh, to go to, uh, I guess it's Deer Lake mm -hmm. uh, or Cornerbrook. Mm -hmm. And um, the Air Canada price was almost twice what, what we had paid wow. Canjet. Yeah. Uh, and I had mentioned to a friend <laughs> at work, uh, my friend Peter at work, that, um, gee, I could go anywhere for, for that price. Yes. And he said, well, you know, we've got Maybe this empty should. house in Portugal. Oh, Would wow. you like to, wow. to visit there? Yeah, yeah. And so we had this lovely house, his mm -hmm. parents' house in Portugal. Uh, it was a beautiful thing, overlooking the ocean. Wow. Uh, absolutely gorgeous. It was, and on short notice, by happenstance. Yes, yes. The best kind of travel. Very nice. Well, I do think, though, that I think that the real price of gas is going to come out now. And the real price of air travel is going to come out now. Um, it's been kind of faking it for... 10 15 years i read a great book kind of a disturbing book called um 20 a gallon and it was the premise of it every chapter went up two dollars of the price of gas and oh. how the world would change it was okay. like a future shock book right <laughs> and um uh and when it was something like eight dollars a gallon um car crashes went down nobody was dying of automobile because they weren't driving anymore ah. and we saw that with COVID, right uh car crashes went down because no one was driving 
true. Right? The first half of COVID. And then the traffic picked up. And then it went nuts again. Yeah, that's true. But um, I, and then they had, um, like, by $10 a gallon, people won't be flying. We won't be flying. It'll only be the super rich. So there's a, if you want to travel, probably, even though it's going to be super expensive, this might be your last chance to fly somewhere. Mm-hmm. If this book was correct. Well, it's it wasn't that blue. many years ago that the idea of traveling overseas was something that was out of reach for most people. Most people, people yeah. Uh, and yeah. if you did go, it was going to be on an ocean liner and yes. you were going to be a sea yes. for a seven week. or eight days yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I've always, I've had a number of dreams actually about being on uh, some kind of ocean liner mm-hmm. or sometimes it's a cargo liner. You've real dreams? Real dreams, oh, well, yes. Oh, that's not funny. Um, cargo liner in which... Um, they have some passengers right. and you know it's the perfect setting for a murder mystery right, right? oh sure um, sure uh, because it's uh it's an uh, uh a closed system mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. my mom when she was uh single she went to england i uh, went in her in the 50s and she went by boat there and back again you know, I, i've always thought it'd be a really, aircraft. A really interesting aircraft. kind yeah. of yeah. uh trip i wouldn't like i don't think the cruise type trip but if yeah, it but were, what's the difference between a, a, an ocean liner and a cruise ship? There, I mean, just more bars. I, I think more movie theaters, ba- bars, theaters, yeah. buffets, uh, events, mall, yeah, all, all yeah, that, yeah, yeah. all that stuff. Whereas I think the ocean liner is you have a berth and you uh, read and write poetry uh, and paint. And yes, you paint Kate Winslet on the Titanic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a wonderful book I, I probably talked about it on the podcast um, about about a chess games on on a no i don't know if you did on, on an ocean if you did i don't remember liner. that that's funny yeah yeah it was, it, was cool. a, it was quite a good book yeah. uh it, that would be great to play chess and go on a on a cruise yes on not a cruise or an ocean liner I, I don't know i think it would be a cruise ship now that would go across the ocean or are they stable enough can they do that can they go across the atlantic ocean i don't know speaking of go yeah you know, I, I'm taking I'm taking go lessons. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, How uh, are they along doing? with Vox, we've been doing yeah. it for some time, and uh, we're being strongly encouraged to uh, to do problems. Oh. So I've been really actively doing go problems. What's the problem? Like a setup? Yeah, there'll oh. be a setup, and it'll say sort of black to play and live, oh. or black to play and kill. Okay. Uh, so they're mm-hmm. life and death problems, uh-huh. or, or the Japanese word is sumego, uh-huh. uh, and they're designed to improve your calculation so you look at a situation and you have to calculate all the possible moves in your head in order to figure out what the correct solution okay. is and some of them are mind-bendingly difficult mm. uh, and our our teacher has concluded that um, one of our biggest weaknesses is our is our calculation and if we do a lot of problems oh. and improve our calculation wow. and do nothing else um, will up our level considerably and win a lot more games. So you have to be able to calculate quickly in your go game. Or slowly. And Sometimes you have lots oh, of time. Oh, you have lots of time. Okay. Yeah. And then find the best move. Find, yes. Well. Which you thought, I thought you were doing already. Well, but trying, trying to do. But it's infinite. But it's, it's difficult to do. And what happens, I think, in actual play is if you can't figure it out you use your experience mm-hmm. and intuition, right. which is kind of poor if you're 
not an expert right, uh, right. in order to make a best sure, guess sure. and it's very easy to, to just guess rather than right. um, than calculate and we're being encouraged to always calculate and get better and faster at calculating wow, yeah. so that's what we're working on now and by doing so you'll get a problem you'll work it out and that'll give you some exercise in that yes all right cool. and there's a couple of places in which there are interactive well there's a lot oh, of places really? yes there's a there's a website in chinese for just those kind of problems and calculating yes hundreds of them oh and there's God. one on one of the go servers the ogs go server has problems as well uh -huh. and they're interactive huh. so you can when, once you've figured out the solution you try it out and mm -hmm. it'll tell you if you're correct or not oh my god yeah you follow that's through the amazing sequence. and then as soon as you do an incorrect move it goes incorrect so they're saying there's the best move Oh, yes, and in a life-and-death problem, sometimes there's only one way really? um, for uh, one way to kill the group or to survive the group, <laughs> okay. uh, and you have to figure out that way. And it's often not the obvious solution. Often mm. the obvious solution is the red herring, and you mm. have to do something else. It might be a throw-in, or it might be some other uh, tricky little move that you have to do, mm in order to create the situation that you need in order to well it's also like in problem. writing in writing you want to you can get all kinds of ideas but you want to find out what's the best idea right and what's the best idea for a painting calculating that too right i guess but in a painting for instance there it's not like there's a best idea there's the idea that turns out to be the best idea for the <laughs> painting but it's not like the only idea right Right. I mean, you could go down a different path and also get an interesting painting. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's true. But I think, I think you're kind of hoping for it. Yeah. Well, should we make another scotch? Yeah, I pretty much finished yeah, my cocktail. And, um, and I've run out of things to talk yeah, about at the good. same time. All right, well, Imagine how that worked I out. I know. Thanks for listening, everybody. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can uh, email us at theagency.podcast at gmail.com. And um, I have to tell you that when Candy showed up here, <laughs> she showed up here with a great big box, yeah. and it's a big box of swag. Yeah. We have two kinds of mugs, mm -hmm. and we have um, a, a, a new design of a mm -hmm. baseball cap um, that says, listen or else. That's right. um, plus, we still have one flask. Oh, That's, yeah, and I've got a couple in Chicago, too. So, so one flask in Canada. So these are available. You can you can um, uh, transfer us some dough yeah. and uh, and buy them at yep. uh, twenty five bucks a piece. Yep, uh, I think the flasks are about forty. But yeah, I'll put the prices on um, on the Facebook Instagram. site. Yeah, um, you know, and it's also possible that you can charm one of these good bits <laughs> of swag yeah, out of us and, and have us. Uh, an easy mark. I have a pretty easy mark, but. Uh, <laughs> You can try your luck. Yeah. And thanks for listening. Again, also, we said to email us if you have any thoughts and questions. And the ideas um, for guests, yep. ideas for yep. um, for future programs, yep. um, whatever. If you, uh, Send if, a book recommendation, whatever, a movie yeah, recommendation. Criticism. What did you think about the Friends of Eddie Doyle? And, and if you want to, if you have some, some criticism of the podcast, send it to criticism at... <laughs> The agency.com. I gmailed. Yes, I did. <laughs> the
agency.podcast at gmail.com. Here's our email address. Bye. Bye. Bye.